0: I'm going to read our scripture for today. Um, this is Our scripture reading comes out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Um, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive, that it is powerful, that it speaks to us. Um, We thank you that you um, have a message for each of us corporately and individually today. And that's just how awesome you are, how intimate you are. Um, So God, I just ask that um, you would use the um, Omar to just speak truth over us, to um, give us courage and boldness as we walk out um, as your workmanship in the world. Um, In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: you know, part of really for us as speakers or teachers is really people receiving, right? Like it's a double thing. Um, and expectation, I believe expectation is a, uh, it's a sign of faith. Faith, right? Uh, Hebrews 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the evidence of things not seen is expectation. If I expect something, that's an evidence of my faith and then God really moves upon faith. And so I just want to say the expectation yesterday was great. It was we, we were blessed to give, we received a lot too, and so it was awesome. Another note to um, our pastor Bob Roberts is very involved in the Rohingya. So you going there was amazing to see that you going to tell a story. And I pray that God gives you that story or that picture. That you know sometimes it takes one picture or one story to just just make it aware. And I know part of it is just making people aware of the situation in Rohingya. Our pastor, we have a, a website called Glocal.net, and he wrote his story. They paid for him to go there, and he went in to capture the stories of what's going on. It's a real, real situation, so I appreciate what you're doing with your work. It's a great work, so we applaud you there. Um, this morning, I want to um, talk about The War is Won. That's the title. You read the passage that uh, we were given, and... Um, You know, I got to. You know, I know I'm going to do some things that makes me look old. I just have to do it because I can't see this. It's getting a little dark here too. So, can can I get a little lamp that comes here? (laughs) I need a lamp. Um, But in in that passage of Ephesians two, I want to go to that passage and out of all it, I want to kind of take one verse out of it and I want to stay on it. And let me say that just being with you and even prayer this morning, I feel like I'm in the flow of what God is doing. Sometimes you preach to a crowd. You preach to people, and you feel like you're bringing things in, like which is good. Like I'm bringing some, some things in. I'm depositing some truth in God, and then God uses that. Here is different. Even this morning, I felt like I'm just in the flow. Like I'm not bringing things new. I'm just strengthening the flow of God. God's doing already, which is great. It's a wonderful feeling. But I want to go to Ephesians two, and I want to pluck out verse six because this is a. Um, if you if you look at Ephesians two um, here, it says here in verse six and raised us up, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I, want to, I don't want to skip through that, because that thought is so massive. That's a huge, like, that's a mind-blowing verse. So many times in the Bible, there's such difficult, weighty verses that our natural, finite mind goes, I can't deal with that, I'll just move on. And so many times, I feel like, we don't wrestle with things like this because it's so big. Am I seated with Christ in heavenly places in Christ? My position is there, but somehow I'm here. What am I doing here if I'm there and yet I'm here? What's my job if I'm here and what's my connection to there? And it's like, you know, you wrestle. And I would really, and I believe you guys do, is like when you get to passage like this, wrestle with it. Get down on the ground and just hold it and... Let it pin you to the ground, and you pin it to the ground, and like, God, I need to know what this means. And, and I think so many times we just kind of fly by these big, weighty thoughts that are so big our mind goes, too good to be true. Check it out. You know, like, it's too good, too big. Bam, I can't handle it. That's one of those verses, like, um, I wrestled with God for some months on the verse that he said that if I am faithful to my tithe and offering, if I give Malachi, he says, I will open up the windows of heaven, and I'll pour you out a blessing you can't contain. I thought, I've never seen a dollar bill come from heaven. Have you? (laughs) And I questioned God. I know he says it there. You got to, you know, like we say in Spanish, explain to me. Explain it. I can't. (laughs) Explain. I don't know what this means. This is too big. And I've never seen a window in heaven. And I've never seen money pour out. And yet you told me it's there. And I did for six months. And then God gave me the revelation of it. See, because I believe our finite mind can't grasp some of these truths. They're too big. But we have the mind of Christ. So if we have the mind of Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, he can explain to us things that are mind-blowing. Yeah. And this morning, this verse here, I'm simply going to skim the surface of it because I thought about it and I began to wrestle with it. I thought, God, what does it mean that I'm seated with you in heavenly places? And so I want, you, I want to go back up. I want to show you the view from that position because now we're seated with him. But let me, sh- let me share with you from Scripture kind of what it looks like from that position. Go up to Ephesians chapter one, and I'm going to read you. If you don't have, your, I'll just read it from the Word here. Ephesians chapter one. I think I have it here. It is. Thank you. These guys are good, dude. I've never seen a church do things so quickly. I've been involved in mega church, and we're like lumbering elephants. It takes enormous amount to do that. Like I got to, I got to send them that like two weeks in advance. The tech guy. Oh my, where is your verses? It's like two weeks where I need it now. Like, this guy does it in 60 seconds. That's crazy. (laughs) So, So here we go. Having the eyes. So Paul, I'm going to go up a little bit because Paul gives us a view from that position. And he's praying for us to get it. Listen to his heart. He says, I'm praying for you. Read the context later. That your eyes of your hearts will be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance? Paul is like, oh God, let him see what they have. I just, If you listen to his prayer, it's an entreat to us. God, Father, I pray, open their eyes, their hearts, so they can see the hope of their calling. Let them see the glorious inheritance that they received from Christ, from, from the Lord. You said, listen, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might? So Paul is saying, God, I hope they get this. I hope they see this. I pray, God, that the eyes of their heart, not their mind, but the heart, would get it. It's spiritual. They would understand it. He says that he who worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So Paul is positioning it this side from that position, and we're there with Christ. He just said it in Ephesians 2. We're there. We're there, beautiful, that we're seated with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 1:18 18 to, uh, where do we go? We go to 20. Let me read the rest of it. He says in 20, far above, listen, this is the verse that follows this. Do we have that? There you go. I'm sorry, man. You're so good. I don't even know how to f- keep up with you. <laughs> I was like, I don't see there. Oh, it's there. You yeah. <laughs> know, Far above rule and authority and power and dominion. So Paul is saying, here's the view from the right hand. See, Jesus went up and he sat, it was done. He says, I'm finished. The position of sitting is one of going, I'm done. I'm done, it's completed. The cross, my resurrection, did it all. There was nothing that remained. He said, look at the view, far above rule and authority and power and dominion. If you read Ephesians 6, uh, I'll quote that later on, He's talking about, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? You know that verse. But we wrestle against, what? Powers, um, it says, So he said we wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. Listen to to the strata. This is really kind of layers. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wickedness in high places. Four levels, he said we're dealing with. And here is four levels. We're far above what? Ruler, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. This is the view from that position. This is the view from that position. Think about it. Think about it. Turn to your neighbor and says, come up a little higher. Tell them, just come up a little higher. Encourage. Let's go up a little higher. Yeah? Right? Come up a little higher. See? He says, come on up. I want you to show you where you're seated. I want to show you there you're seated. Here's a your view. You're far above all these things. Look down. See, I get the feeling that when we pray, we pray up, right? We have this tradition that we pray up to God. Let me tell you, you don't need to pray up to God. We need to pray from God's position down. <laughs> <laughs> this is a reality. You don't pray up to God to solve your problem. You look down to your problem because that's where you're seated. I'm gonna change your mind. See, I want you to begin to think from that position. We think too much from this, from this level. And the encouragement this morning is that start thinking from up here. Think from up here. Think from the throne. Think down. Don't think up. Let me give you one more verse. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Then if, if then you have been raised with Christ, which we just read twice, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your minds on things. Think from above. Think from above. I think part of our problem is that we think from too low. We're seeing things from the human perspective. We keep looking at life through the lat- through the horizontal and through what's around us. That's one of our big problems, is that we see. And here Paul is telling us, guys, listen, you're seated in heavenly places. Here's the view. You're above all things. It's been done. The work is complete. He says, and he has everything under his feet. He says, now, set your mind there. Think from that position. You've been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. What's the problem then? What is the problem? The problem is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. Here's the problem. Because you go, Omar, well, I'm hearing you. Let me give you kind of the difficulty in this. Why it's not prevalent in the church and why we don't really work this way. Here's a war. So, So here we have, we're seated in heavenly places we see seated with Christ, but yet the enemy, see, the enemy is not banished yet. One day he will be banished forever, but right now he still roams the earth. Even though the battle has been won, Christ in Colossians chapter 2 said he disarmed him and made him an open spectacle to the world. So even when we look down, realize that God disarmed him and took away all his power, and he said he triumphed over him. So there was a triumphant battle won that Christ regained the authority that Adam gave to Satan, Christ, through the cross, gave us back that authority. But he leaves him, and I believe many theologians have talked about why, you read this in different writings, why did God permit this? One is that God was gonna win this battle on equal footing where he lost it. See, God is fair. He lost it to Adam, he's gonna regain it through the new Adam, the body of Christ. He was gonna do something magical. He could if he wanted to, but the Lord is not like that. So he left us to prove and the second thing, he left him here for us to exercise our dominion, to, exercise, to teach us how to rule, so that we can begin to practice what rulership looked like in, according to God. And we're to do that. The parallel is Joshua. Joshua, I've given you the land. It's your land. It's over. It's yours to take. But there's a few giants there. <laughs> You're going to have to extract them, I'm sorry. But you have the power and authority to do that, Joshua. You remember the 12 spies? 10 of them saw it here. 10 spies didn't look. Caleb and Joshua saw it from the heavenly place. 10 of them saw it from the natural place. They came back and they saw themselves, they said, as crickets, small, because they saw it from here. If you look at this city through your eyes, you're going to be very small. The work is going to be very great. I walked around the streets yesterday. It's a big city. It's a difficult city, it's a depressed city, it's a despondent city. People see themselves as very little, insignificant, all right? And our job is to raise them up so they can see themselves the way Christ sees them. But if the church don't see themselves there, they have no hope, right? So we have to be the one that begins to look at this perspective. So here's the warfare and the warfare is real. Listen to what Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh. We're not waging war against the flesh. So Paul says the battle is not carnal. We're not fighting against human beings. It's not the Republicans against the Democrats. I mean, yes, yeah, on TV, CNN, and Fox, they all show the warfare. You've seen it, what's going on in America, right? Here, I'm sure in Canada, you'll have your own fights. We don't, that's not our battle. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroying strongholds. We destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So the battle is in the mind. You heard that the warfare is here. It's, it's in your mind. And here's, here's the great scheme of the enemy. That you don't find out your authority. That, you, that you're ignorant of what God gave you. That's, see, the power of Satan is in the lie. He will either cause you to doubt the word of God which is our life source, or will keep you away from the truth of God's word. He will hide it from you. That's the power he has. I read a story once of Jonathan, uh, General Jonathan Wainwright. He was a general in World War II that was captured, the only general ever captured by the Japanese in World War II. His name was General Jonathan Wainwright. He was sent by MacArthur to hold Corregidor in the Philippines. He was a general that was to hold the Philippines and to fight for Philippines. And he lost a battle to the Japanese. There was so much warfare, and he lost. And MacArthur's words to Wainwright was, never surrender, fight to the end. That was his words to the general. But he couldn't. He lost enormous, enormous lives. And at the end, he was so depleted that he surrendered to the Japanese. And the Japanese began to take over all those islands there in World War II. And they began to ship, and many died. And they began to take all these POWs American uh, prisoners of wars, and they scattered them all throughout Asia. And Wainwright, General Wainwright, uh, was taken to Mongolia, and he was hidden away in a camp in Mongolia, and he was a prized possession of the Japanese. He was the only general ever captured in World War II. And that was their prize, General Wainwright. Years later, MacArthur, of course, surged. the surge came back through MacArthur, and he began to then extract all the Japanese, and the war just continued, and America took over and actually landed in Tokyo and the Japanese surrendered to America. Actually, General MacArthur ended up in Tokyo as the headquarters, and uh, Japan surrendered to America in World War II. But nobody told General Wainwright. The Japanese held it away from him because the Japanese general knew that the moment he got that, the rolls would turn. It was simply information he was lacking. He didn't know. And so for years, years, he stayed as a POW, depleted, sick, uh, in that prison uh, camp, operating as a prisoner, because he was unaware that the battle had been won. And the Japanese hid that information from them for many, many, many years. Because imagine that general looking at, looking at Wainwright going, If you'd only know, our roles would switch. And later on, of course, he found out. He found out. And we find out that when he found out, uh, that they came in they finally found him, the roles were switched, and he became the general. And so we see kind of that the tactic the enemy uses, the scheme he uses, is to withhold information, to lie to you, to keep that away from you. And many times, tradition of men, because I believe the church has developed a theology of powerlessness. We actually justify powerlessness now. And he seeped into the church in such a kind of a toxic way. I call it doctrines of demons that came in. Paul calls it the doctrines of demons. They come in to do what? To hide the truth from us. That we are actually now winners. That the deceit he gives us is one of um, lies or ignorance. Um, that word imagination, uh, he def- destroys strongholds. We destroy arguments. Arguments is kind of this idea of false doctrines that come against Christ's teaching. That It's arguments that are false. And the word also, lofty opinion reigns against Christ, is the word bulwark. And if you listen to the original word, it means barrier. So the weapons of our warfare are able to bring down strongholds. What strongholds is in the mind? When I walk Toronto, I see strongholds. Like I see people depressed. They walk around like this, all from different nations. They're displaced. They're discontent. They find a depression. Their minds are captured. By, by false information of who they are. They're, they're, they, you can see it in their, in their faces. And we have the message of hope to them. Here we have here, he withholds it, right? He withholds it from us. The big lie is that we walk without that authority. And this morning, my only message to you is to try to just awaken you to the fact that God has given us all authority on this earth, that you as a church have the authority here in Toronto to make a difference. You don't have to ask for God to give you authority. He's given it to you. Luke 19.10, Behold, I give you authority. Right? Luke 19.10. To tread over serpents, you have dominion over all things. Behold, Jesus says that he sends us out as a church. He said, Toronto, he's speaking to Trinity Life. Go into all the world, right? And make disciples of all the nations. But you know what precedes that verse in Matthew? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, you go. See, the, the command to go into the world is backed up by this phrase, I have all authority. And you go with that authority. Isn't that powerful? I, I learned this, you know, years ago I was, I was praying for my daughter and, and, and I was praying. She was in high school and the high school was, was beginning to just um, turn. It was a great high school and then we had an influx of, of people from all over Louisiana. That was after Katrina, actually and many from Louisiana came to Texas and our high school was filled with kids and they came with different philosophies and different backgrounds and culture and so it began to be very very difficult there um, uh, in many ways and it was not only them but the school itself was turning on its own drugs and alcohol and sex and it was a rise in a lot of difficulty and uh, I had my daughter my youngest daughter Johanna was there and uh, all my three kids were there but she and my last two were still there and I remember that I was praying one morning, and I was just asking God, Lord, please help them. Like, I, I want to just preserve my kids. And I'm asking God to help my children in this, in this environment, because I know how it was. I was scared. And the Lord stopped me and said, stop praying like that. Stop praying like that. Well, I'm praying. I thought I was supposed to pray. But you're not praying right. He says, pray with authority. You already have the You don't have to ask me for authority. You pray with authority over your children. And you command all the spirits to leave them alone. You have authority over the demonic world that comes to taint them or to tempt them. And I want you to speak to them with authority against the spirits that comes against them. You don't have to ask me. You, I have given you that. I'm deputizing you. I've given the church my authority to operate on the earth. That's changed the way I prayed. It changed the way I prayed, because I no longer was asking God for that. He was telling me, you know, in Texas, we were making fun of it. Somebody was making fun of me yesterday about Texas under their guns. It's true. We like our guns. You know, we have lots of guns. But in Texas, you know, everyone carries. Everyone has guns in their homes. I'm, I mean, I'm trying to get one. My wife really wants a gun. I'm trying to get it for her. I don't have one at home yet. <laughs> She's like, get us a gun. I want to go shoot things. And uh, because I travel a lot, she was like, what do you do if somebody comes in? I'm, you know, uh, you know I, I just have, you know, a hammer. <laughs> I, need, I need to shoot things. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're about to, I mean, we've, we've been trying to go to the shooting range and do all this, but, but everyone has it. And so in Texas, imagine you're, you're authorized. If somebody breaks in your house, you're authorized to use a weapon against them. You have legal right from the state to, to use that. So God began to speak to me about how, he said, imagine if you're in Texas and a, and, and a thief comes in your house and you have a weapon beside you and you've been authorized, but you're calling the cops to help you. The police department would say, well, we're on our way, sir, but do you have a gun? Yeah, I do have. Well, you're authorized. <laughs> use it. You're authorized to use it. You see the difference? You're authorized to use it. And so the fact is this, is that we're, we have been given permission from God to fight his battles on the earth. So our, our disposition and our attitude is not one of asking God. There's things that we ask God, for sure, we have to. But there's things in this world that I think we go to God to ask him that we already have. And that makes prayer very boring. When you pray for things that you already have, you never see the results. Why? Because you already have it. That's why our prayer meetings get boring. You know why they get boring? Because God's like, I already gave you that. Why do you keep asking me? You're boring me. (laughs) Go use some of that stuff, right? And that's the reason why prayer becomes religious, because when we pray and get no results, we turn it into a religious exercise to make us feel good about it. So it becomes a discipline, and that's something that's active and powerful, that changes cities, changes families, changes environments. And when you do that, prayer gets exciting because you see results. And I begin to pray this way, God, in Jesus' name, I come against the spirit of lust, against my daughter, I come against the spirit of drugs and alcohol, I bind you in Jesus' name, you have no right, no permission over her. That's different than saying, God, please help me, please help my daughter. Do you feel the difference? That's a different prayer. And God wants us to walk around with that kind of attitude, that we have been all authority. Listen, this is your position, Look. We're seated with Christ, we're looking down. You're not looking up to your problem, you're looking down to your problem. And God is showing you, listen, above all rule, dominion. You're over them with me. Go into the world now I'll we'll make disciples, but I'm going to keep you on the earth because Ephesians 2 then says we have a good work, keep prepared beforehand. So there's a good work here for us to do, right? That God has called us for a good work, but he has put here before you got here. So the good work that you and I have is one that God initiates, not the one you initiate. Because the good work, he says, was prepared beforehand that you may walk in it. So we're not creating new works, we're discovering what God is doing and joining him in it. It's a different mindset. There's a difference between a dead work and a good work. A dead work is the one that I come up with that is going to make me feel good. A good A dead work or a work of the flesh but a good work is the one that's defined as the one that God's involved and He initiated it. And he invites us into it. That's the good work. This idea of authority and this idea of the church that I want to impart to you, and I'm praying that God, just because you're there. Like, I hear it in your prayers. Like, I'm hearing prayers, and you guys get prayers. Prayer is serious here. And I'm telling you, prayer makes a difference. It's prayer because our battle is not here. It's up here. If we can win the battle here, Toronto will just come into the kingdom. See, the battle has to be won. You could work a lot here. It's like the military. Why do you think they just send bombers first, right? It's like, I don't like to use an analogy because it's not like politically correct, but, but that's what we do in the military. I served six years in the US Marine Corps. So when we, we as foot soldiers would go in, they would soften the ground through like airplane stuff. So before we send the foot soldiers in, they would go into these things to soften the ground for us. And then we'd go in. So it's this idea of prayer softens the ground for us to be able to capture what the enemy has stolen. And that air force, that's, that's prayer. And that's prayer with authority. That's not, now I lay me down to sleep. Please, Jesus, help me if it's thy will. Right? Oh, God, if it's thy will, we pray that Toronto be saved. You think that's, you think it's at thy will that Toronto be saved? You think that's God's will? Yes, it is. Of course it is. He's asking us to come in. I'm from Belize. Uh, originally, me and my wife are from a little country called Belize previously known as British Honduras. And um, I was there about three, four years ago, and there's a, there's a capital, all the embassies are in the capital city. And I was meditating on this issue that, you know, our identity here is how God sees us as ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that we're ambassadors of Christ, right? You know that, right? You, you've read that. That we're literally ambassadors. So God does, he's not too concerned, nothing, he's not concerned about your position on the earth. He's not impressed with your, with your position, whether you work on Wall Street or Walmart. Don't impress him. You could be cleaning toilets on Walmart, or you could be in a high seat on Wall Street, and God is not impressed with you in that position. You know why? Because no matter where you are, he sees us as ambassadors. And your job, no matter where we are, is his role, our role, is to be ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? It's to represent his kingdom, his nation to the earth. So if you're in Walmart, represent the kingdom there. If you're in Wall Street, represent the kingdom there. That's how he measures us. Are you representing me right where you are? That's the goal. That's the goal. And I'm not saying don't strive for greatness, but don't do it for yourself. If God puts you there, great. But you're there, You listen, you're not there to make money for yourself, and you, you might make some, and that's great. You're there to represent the kingdom of God there. I was on embassy, uh, embassy row there uh, three years ago. I was walking by the American embassy. America has an embassy, beautiful embassy in Belize, Central America. And I was walking there, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about what it means to be an ambassador. Gave me some revelation of what it means as the role to be an ambassador. And he looked at the soil. And he said, you know, I began to look at the land. Beautiful piece of property in the capital. I mean, to look at it. And um, I thought to myself... Do you know that soil, that piece of ground in Belize, is actually American soil? It is, literally. That, those acres in Belize is American soil. I, if There's a fence, and you know and I know in case of war and disasters, and you have to run for safety, if you're an American anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, what do you look for? The embassy. You know why? Because that's America. The moment you cross over that fence, the moment you're there, you're in American soil. And the moment you cross the fence into that piece of soil, you're under the jurisdiction of America now. That means you're under the control and the power and the resources of the United States. They will send, actually, airplanes and jets to go get you because wealthy nations do that. You know, when, when prisons of war, if you notice in the news, when we get... Prisoners back, America sends airplanes to go get them. It's a lot of money. It's millions of dollars to go pick them up. So, what happens is that you walk in and you are, and the Lord began to, to show me, He said, My church is like an embassy. We're ambassadors. He says, And wherever you go, you're under my jurisdiction of the kingdom of God. And you have my backup, you have my authority, and you have my resources. Because our headquarters is in heaven, that's where we're seated. We just happen to be operating here on the earth. That's how you think. If I think my headquarters is here on the earth, then there's lack, and there's deficiency, and I can't operate. But if I think my headquarters is there, see, when I'm in, in Belize and I'm in that American embassy, I, I, am, I am privy as a citizen of America to, to all the resources America has and all the authority, the power, and the authority to carry I happen to be that why because i'm a citizen of the kingdom an ambassador and i'm in the soil and i'm telling you we're a walking embassy of the kingdom of god if i'm an ambassador no matter where we go we're under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of god and what comes with that is all authority all power all resources everything god has our inheritance and the saints that's the reason why paul says god open the eyes please let him see it let them see the hope they have let him see them the tremendous inheritance they have in christ Let him see the mighty power that works with them. Let him see it, Lord. And that's his prayer for us. That he who see it, all that we have. And I see it, guys. I feel like God is just here. And I sense God has a hand on this church. I know it. Because an embassy doesn't have to be big or small. See, it's not the size of an embassy that makes it impactful. It's this position It's who sent it. See, the power of the embassy is not the size of the embassy. The power of the embassy is who sent the embassy. Now, Belize, I found Belize in D.C. I went to see the uh, ambassador there a few months ago. And, you know, he's empowered by Belize. But, you know, you can see the power, right? Like, if you're sent by Belize, you'll have a, I mean, you'll be okay. (laughs) You'll have a couple pickup trucks and, We'll probably feed you once a week, you know, Canada, kind because of, you know? I mean the resources are lacking. But we do have ambassadors. But when you, when a country like the U.S. or can, or Canada, I imagine Canada as well, you send your ambassadors, they walk with the confidence. They're they're walking on the earth, going, I'm representing Canada, I'm representing the U.S., and I'm representing a powerhouse. Like I've got resources. I've got power, we've got authority, so you walk with that confidence. Imagine if we capture this, this idea that we're sitting in heavenly places and we're sent by God as ambassadors, and our embassy is in heaven, and the embassy is the kingdom of God, the God of the universe, who's all-powerful, almighty, all, everything belongs to him. I represent him, and I'm walking through in Toronto, uh, my head's up now, and I'm confident, I'm not cocky, I'm confident, and I walk with confidence. And I walk like Jesus does. Because if I'm going to be an ambassador of Christ, then this is what Christ did in Acts 10.38. The Bible says in Acts 10.38, Jesus, sent by God the Father, full of the Holy Spirit and power, right? Full of the Holy Spirit and power, went about doing good, right? And casting all those, casting the devil out of all those who were oppressed by the devil. He did two things. He did good stuff, and he came with authority to, to, to cast out the enemy from people's lives. He went about doing good and relieving all those who were oppressed of the devil. When I look at Toronto, we walked, I crossed Commons like three times yesterday. We were walking, so I was like, oh, here's Commons, you know. And we were, we were down, up and down the street just walking, and there's a lot of people yesterday, and I just saw it. I saw people captured by the enemy, oppressed by the enemy. Their minds are oppressed. They're sad. They're depressed. I saw the despondency in people. The displacement of no home, like this where 's my home? do I feel at home? The lack and this we are called to give them hope and to help free them from that oppression of the mind. Why by giving them the god thoughts in their head and breaking through all the cultural strongholds demonic strongholds, traditional strongholds, and the clash of all these nations that come to Toronto. It's a beautiful city as far as a mosaic, a city of just so many colors and so much diversity. It's an awesome thing. I mean, at what these, I feel like I'm home here, literally, more than Texas. And I see, but I see the people, and God is telling us, guys, go out there with my authority and do good works with them, and please, Relieve them. Set them free from the oppression of the enemy. Pray for them. Break those strongholds. Through prayer, break it. That common ground should be like an embassy of prayer where you get there and you just pray, God, break every stronghold in this city. Depression be gone and all this. Then you open your door and you throw parties for people. You bring them in, right? Let them let be happy. You feel joyful that somebody loves them, cares for them. You have a home with us. This is your home. Becomes that. I'm going to end with Mark 16, 19. Watch the Great Commission here. I'm going to end with this verse. This is the Great Commission from Mark. Few Baptists use Mark. See, I've been a Baptist once, a Charismatic twice, and a Baptist again. So I've been twice a Baptist, once a Charismatic. I literally got kicked out of a Baptist church when I began to talk about the Holy Spirit in Florida. I was told to leave. I didn't know why they told me to leave. I was, a, I, was a, I was a deacon in a big Baptist church. Youngest deacon ever voted in. I began to ask the pastor, show me the Holy Spirit. I found him. I want to know more. I want to know more about the Holy Spirit. He told me we'll find another church. <laughs> literally. And then for 10 years, I went into the charismatic churches. I learned about the Holy Spirit. And there you know. I learned, but they come with stuff too, so i got to watch the other side of that equation. And then I go to Texas to work for Bob Roberts, and I found the Holy Spirit and the Word. I realized they both matter, right? The Spirit and the Word. But a few Baptists read it from Mark. They love Matthew because Matthew is safe. Matthew is safe. Matthew is like, go into the world, preach, teach, make disciples, amen. Mark's dangerous. If you read Mark, Mark's like an action movie. If you if you go to Netflix, Mark would be like the the action section. That's Mark. Read Mark, it's all power. He loves miracles. He writes them all, like bam, 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 miracles, miracles, miracles. You know, Matthew's a Jewish guy, seen the Jew, you gotta be careful. Look at Mark. So no, what is that? Is that is that Mark? There you go. And he said to them, Go into go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. This is the great commission. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. Listen, do you think there's demonic worlds happening in Toronto? There's layers of them, four layers of them, as well as Texas, just they don't think it's there. Texas, they don't think demons are there. Literally, a counselor told me once, I think they're more in Africa. I said, he's a licensed counselor. Because I live in a world where the demonic world is real. We come from Belize where there's obia, African, voodoo. I mean, everything's there. We see it all the time. I've seen it, I've felt it. We've done work there. And I go talk to this guy in the US and he says, they're not here really, you know, they're there. I'm like, the one speaking through you right now. I gotta <laughs> cast it out. I'm, I felt like laying hands on him going, you lying spirit, get out, Jesus' name. This is a PhD licensed counselor. That God told me, lay hands on him and cast out that lying devil. It's all over him. They will speak in new tongues. I don't know what you believe about tongues, but he said they'll speak in new tongues. It could be like literary languages or there's a heavenly language Paul talks about. They will pick up serpents with their hands and they will drink any deadly poison. You know, churches have made fun of that. If you're charismatic, they call you like a snake handler. They literally have made this verse polluted and toxic. That if you, say you're, if you say I'm charismatic in Texas, especially in Baptist town, oh, you're a snake handler. Right? That's what they call you. And they drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Imagine walking through Toronto as a church and saying, are you sick? Let me pray for you. Yeah, but what if they don't get healed? <laughs> that's, the, that's the first thing. People ask me all the time, Omar, why, why is it? You better be careful. What if they don't, they don't get healed if you pray for them? I told him, I've been asking God the same thing, because I pray for a lot of people and some get healed and some don't. I asked the Lord, Lord, why? You know what the Lord told me? It's none of your business. (laughs) You know what he tells me? You pray and leave me to handle the prayers. You are not to... The result is not your job. Your job is simply to lay hands on them and pray for people, cast out demons, pray for the sick, Pray against depression. That's your job. Your job is not to handle the results of it. That's my job. And I do with the prayers what I want to do with the prayers. All right. (laughs) Okay. I get it. So the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up to heaven. Watch this. And he sat down at the right hand of God again. See, this is all power. He's shown us over and over again the position we're in. And they went out, preached. I love this. This This is kind of my favorite parts of the verse. And they went out preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed their message by signs and wonders. Whoa. God says, come on, guys, put me out there. Put me out there. Just do crazy stuff. Do like awesome miracles. Tell them that I'm powerful. Tell them I'm good. Tell them that I'm so good. I'm a good God. Show them my goodness. And I will back you up, God says. I will back you up. With what? With signs and wonders. You want a church like that? Hey, listen, you don't want to just exist in Toronto, man. You go for it all. I'm telling you, that's one, that's one thing. that I mean, just go for broke. Don't hold back. Just go for it. Pray for the dead. If somebody's dead, go pray for them. See if you can raise them up. I challenge you to do that. <laughs> it better be the Lord telling you, though. I had a friend of mine in Detroit. He was so crazy when he got saved. He did that. He did. It. He went to a funeral, and grabbed the guy like there was an the old guy. He read. I forget his name. He would grab people out of the coffin and they'd come to life. Uh, what was his name? Um, I was an old kind of prayer guy, but God didn't tell him that. You better. You better be God telling you, because the guy didn't get raised, and he got kicked out of that. He got kicked out of that funeral thing. And he was embarrassed. He embarrassed God. <laughs> but the Lord will tell you. The Lord will tell you. I sat before a coffin of my cousin. Years ago, I asked the Lord, Lord, you can heal her. You can raise her from the dead. Right, Lord? I was sitting there watching the coffin. Like, I'm, like should I go pray, you know? Like, and the Lord says, if I even give you the word, you're not able to handle that word. I thought, oh, God, I have to grow into that faith, right? But the Lord told me, yes, I could raise her up. But if I gave you the word to go and pray for her, you couldn't handle it you'd know what to do with it. At that moment, God was telling me, You're yet to, you yet to grow in your faith in this area. I can, but I want you to work with me on that. But the issue is, we need to be a church that's out in the limb, that we are actually going out there doing things that matter. This, here's a two-fold punch I mean, that the church can have. The two-fold punch is this. Doing good, right? Doing good and casting out demons. Doing good, right? And helping people... Uh, from the oppression of the demonic world that's the that's the two punch the church has in the cities doing good spiritual warfare doing good spiritual warfare Now watch what happens god begins to work in midst. it's a powerful thing to do that some of you i mean right now if you're a christian you know that god's probably challenging you or like you're changing your mind about things but I'm telling you my prayer is that God would just impart that to you that you walk with confidence when you go to the Rohingya walk with confidence you walk in there and you know you're walking representing God you're an ambassador of the kingdom of God yeah you have a job you're probably representing Canada or some organization you're doing but God says that's good I can get that but you're representing me you walk with the confidence that I have your back put me to the test watch me do stuff that you'd never imagine people go wow that must be God. That must be God. It can't be human. it got to be God, right? And that's my challenge to you, uh, trainer Life. I believe God is doing it here. I see it. I feel it. I hear it from you leaders, Michael and Missy. I see it in your heart. I even asked you this morning, is Michael charismatic? He said, no, he's not charismatic. I mean, but it's natural to the flow. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And if you're going to make a dent in these cities, if you don't do that, you're not. Gonna, it's very difficult work very difficult. It's like sending soldiers in without doing the air. A lot of casualties. But we have both in our hands to do for God. And I want to challenge you. Believe it. Begin to look at the city from the throne room. Don't look at it from down here. It's too difficult. Too much chaos. Too much trouble. It's too heavy. There's too much to do. Oh God, I'm the only one. Look at this massive city. God says don't look at it from that position. Get up higher because you're seated with me. I want you to look down to it. I want you to see it from my perspective. It's my city. I already won it. I took it back from the enemy. No, you go execute it. At the cross, Toronto, I took Toronto back, he said. But I'm waiting for my church to go gather it, to go bring it in for me. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb to receive, listen, the reward of his, of his, of his pain. Worthy is the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. What's the reward? People, the nations are his reward. They're here. They're here among us. The nations are among us. And the lamb deserves his reward. And he's asked us to go get it for him. What What a call we have. Amen? And if you're here, you're not saved. And you say, Omar, I know what you're saying. Even 2 Corinthians 4 talks about how those are not saved. Enemy has blinded their eyes so they can't see the glory of grace. So even salvation is a blinding of eyes. They can't see the light of the gospel. So you think I can do that through arguments? to philosophy I could maybe talk about it but that doesn't break down through me talking it comes through spiritual warfare that God removes the blinders and they see because the kingdom is so attractive the gospel is so attractive that if they see they can't do away with it they want it but the church has not represented it right amen let's stand I'm going to close with communion we're going to seal this today with communion and I know we take communion and, and I think we go into a prayer time Um, where we can just allow the Lord to speak to you about, Lord, are there strongholds in my mind that need to be broken so that I can really see the inheritance, that I can hold the inheritance, that I can walk with this power, the confidence? Is there something in my background? Was it bad thinking, cultural traditions? Jesus says that traditions of men nullify his word. Do you know that the traditions of men actually make his word of no effect? Jesus said that. The traditions of men make my word of no effect. Maybe some of us are living with traditions that God needs to break down. Break down the strongholds of tradition, the lies you've believed about God, the lies you've believed about yourself, how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as crickets in the land or do you see yourself as Caleb and Joshua go, we've got this. No, we've got this. I don't see myself as cricket. I see my God, how big he is. So it's a perspective change, and communion, when we take communion, let me ask, let me tell you something, communion. Communion is simply a remembrance of that inheritance. What communion is meant to do is to remind us all the time of what he's done and what we have. It's exactly this sermon that communion is always there to remind us, Lord, This is what I have. This is please remind me who I am in you and remind me what I have. I walked in DC in the Smithsonian years ago and I was awed by America's history and its science and its culture. And if you guys have been to the US, there's a museum in DC that talks about history and airplanes, and I was awed by it. I was look at the history, and America is great because America was here and America was. This is America now, but this was America then, and the greatness and the awe. And I walked out awed by it, and the Lord told me, how come you're not awed by communion anymore like that? You have an awe of a natural kingdom. You should be awed by communion. When you take communion, you should be awed by the, what it represents. It's like this represents victory. This represents my inheritance, Christ at the cross, the blood of Jesus. I have access to God. I don't have to go through the veils. He's made me righteous. I can come in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In the Old Testament, only one guy can go in and he had a shackle in case he died. They had to drag him out. <laughs> we all can go in. We're invited in through the blood of Jesus. Look at, think about the power, the access he gave us. In the body of Christ, we got healing and power and deliverance. Through the. My body was broken for you so that you walk in healing. You can walk in liberty. You can walk in victory. And to me, this is my own natural kind of whatever you want to call it way. This is just my way I think of it. Communion to me is like my Nike swoosh. It's like, you know what it means? Victory, right? And when I hold it, when I hold it, Ephesians 3, 9, 10, 11 says that God chose the church to show the manifold wisdom of God to the heavenly. That through the church he wants to show his manifold wisdom. The cross was the wisdom of God. It was foolishness to man and the devil, but it's the wisdom of God. He hid his wisdom in their foolishness. And when Satan stepped back, 1 Corinthians 4, he said, I get it now. I wish I didn't crucify him. It was too late. And so when we hold it, it's our victory. It's like This is our victory to the heavenlies. Look what God has done to you. And look at what we have together. The hope of His calling, inheritance in the saints, the mighty power of God, the authority of God that walks with us. Father, Lord, today, we take communion as the body of Christ here in Toronto, Trinity Life Church, as we take together the body that you'd infuse, impart your wisdom, impart your life anew and afresh, Change our minds, God. Change our minds so that we begin to view our life from that position of being seated with you in heavenly places. We thank you today. We bless you and we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.